0: In the Pits is partnered with Compete. Compete is a Texas-based brand by Jell Stewart of professional team AC Diesel that provides custom jerseys, pants, headbands, straps, tech shirts, and any other soft goods to help individuals and teams compete at the highest level. Support Texas paintball and message Compete on Facebook or Instagram and mention In the Pits podcast for 10% off your entire order. In the Pits is partnered with Get That Shot. Get That Shot now offers first-in-line photo and video editing, 20% off Get That Shot merch, and 20% off prints to all teams that wear the Get That Shot logo on their jersey. Message Get Dat Underscore Shot on Facebook or Instagram to become a Get That Shot program team. In the Pits is partnered with Paintball Kumite. Paintball Kumite is a program designed by Colt Roberts of professional team San Antonio X-Factor to take paintball players of all ages experience levels and skill groups and mold them into champions the program breaks the game down into small easy to learn sessions designed to help you master the fundamentals so that you can elevate your game newcomers to the program get a free one hour introductory class when mentioning in the pits to sign up for a class message at paintball kumite on instagram welcome everyone to episode 27 of in the pits paintball podcast this podcast is focused on everything that has to do with the paintball scene here in Texas, from professional players and teams to new divisional programs, local tournament series, field owners, Texas-based brands, even photographers and videographers. Every week, we'll have a short and sweet episode with a new topic and a new special guest. I'm Kirsten Smith. I'm a player for the Texas Titans, and this episode, we are going in the pits with Ryan Hall, player for Los Angeles Infamous and owner of Arc Anodizing. Ryan, how are you doing this evening?
1: Great. You know... I- Holidays right around the corner. The shop's hustling and bustling. Everything's good.
0: Yeah, I bet. I know that... Uh, are y'all doing the uh, like your usual holiday special like discount on Anno's?
1: Oh, we got a couple things going on. We, we got a lot of stuff going up on our website right now. Uh, so next couple days, you'll see some things kind of going up on the website. And that'll be like most of our holiday stuff going on. But, I mean, we're doing... We can see kind of some of the stuff we have going on over here. We did 13 guns today. Uh, it's it's crazy right now. Is yes,
0: I didn't uh, I guess I don't know very much about anodizing. I don't know how long the process takes or how difficult it is, but yeah, 13 in one day, y'all must be booming right now, especially after the uh, that showcase y'all had at at Cup with uh, with Planet Eclipse.
1: Oh yeah, that got us some pretty cool uh pretty cool exposure i mean it's it's a it's a several day process and but you know we have multiple people working on it we have five guys on our team so a lot of guns could be done in a day but it's it's those guns take three to four days to kind of like move down the line get prepped get cleaned and then kind of get into color the colorings all happens really fast so when i say the 13 a day I means the 13 colored in a day anyway but those have been polished for it probably took a week to polish those things so it's a, it's a several day process. It, it takes a, a good amount of time.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, I'd love to talk to talk more about that as the show goes on. Uh, so let's go ahead and get started here. Uh, so for those, anybody online listening that maybe don't know about you or like about your history, how long have you been involved in the Texas paintball scene?
1: So I started, uh, I was born and raised in Texas, first of all, Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, so start. Started in 2005 on my 10th birthday, so I, I was begging my parents for years to get me a paintball gun um, for Christmas. You know, it's all I wanted, and it got to the point where, you know, I, I only asked for one single thing was a paintball gun. Um, it was, there was this one Christmas where a cousin of mine had one, and uh, I thought it was the coolest thing. I must have been like seven or eight at the time. Um, so I, I immediately had to have one. And then my parents did some research, which I didn't know, but you had to be 10 years old to play paintball. Um, back then, there wasn't kind of low, those low impact uh, 50 cal stuff. So I had to wait till my 10th birthday. And then when that came around, I finally got that paintball gun for Christmas and uh, immediately went out. My birthday's in January. So Christmas, and you know, immediately right after in January, hit the fields. So since 2005, I've been playing uh, since I was 10. I think I played my first tournament around 08 or 09 Uh, some three mans and some stuff um, what used to be or what had become the USXBL back then it was AXBL and before that there was a SCPA were kind of like the local scenes um, that kind of morphed into the USXBL but yeah I would say started in 05 tournaments in about 08 09 and then the rest is history
0: Gotcha. So you've been playing for close to 15 years in the Texas scene now. So uh, how about uh, some of those teams, the names of the teams that you've played for over the years? I mean, you've been on, uh, you know, AC Dallas and Los Angeles Infamous. But how about some of those other teams that you were on as you were coming up?
1: Yeah, so the first team I would say that, you know, I I joined was my local fields, which is a fun around paintball in Fort Worth, Texas. I still play there to this day. Um, 10 minutes down the road, so those guys, um, had kind of been around the amateur, novice scene, seven man scene, even kind of back in the 10 man days. And those guys had been around, kind of done that, play some national level events, um, and then kind of got out of it and then wanted to get back into it. So they started a team called PPS SFO. Um, that was a local team, and I immediately joined as soon as I could. I was probably 13 or 14 at the time, Uh, I think my brother had just started driving. So we we were both playing on the same team, Like driving to the, um, you know, we finally had a car, a little bit of freedom, finally driving to local field and playing. So I had only ever played on that team really until kind of college and then AC. Um, So I played all until college. Uh, When I got into college, I joined the club team at Texas A&M um split time between the club team and my local team you know I, the tournaments typically um all around texas and then through the a&m team i got kind of connected with a guy named devin stewart and a couple of other dudes that kind of played some high level paintball at the time um at the time i've I've only ever played division four um there wasn't division five back in the day or i've probably been playing that Played Division 4, and that's all I knew. Uh Been to some national events, been to some of the PSPs and some World Cups, but never played above Division 4. Uh Played with the A&M team, and then next thing you know, I got a tryout. Got on AC Diesel, semi-pro, and then spent a year there and got on AC Dallas. And now uh on Infamous now. So it's kind of a crazy progression, but... um yeah, not not many teams. So, PPS SFO, Texas A&M, Diesel, Dallas, Infamous.
0: So you've definitely been playing a long time, but just jumping straight from Division Four up to D1, and then uh, very quickly to pro mm-hmm. after that. That's a uh, very unique, uh, you know, unique path that you've taken on your way up now to the pro division. Um, so over those years and like, kind of like through that journey, um, like, you know, how, how did you, how did you manage to go all the way from, you know, D4 all the way to earning that spot on diesel? What were you like consistently drilling? I mean, I'm sure being with Devin Stewart and some of those other guys that were on that Texas A M squad helped a lot.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That, that was one of the biggest factors. So, um, Full story goes, and I've never told this full story. Um, I've told kind of, I've done some interviews with Maddie and words and whatnot. But the full story goes is I was playing Texas A&M club club team. Kind of was playing with some of those guys: uh, Devin Stewart, Cam McCarty, Logan Edwards. Those are both BCK players. Um, Guy named Daniel Morales, who ended up being my roommate. Uh, He also played division, had played some division two ball play division two with diesel and then, um, end up going pro with AC Dallas as well. Um, so there's there a handful of good solid Texas dudes around. Um, but again, I was only playing division four at the time. Um, so the story goes, I was playing on PPS SFO and Texas A and M kind of split in time there. And I kind of, I'm trying to stay humble here, but I kind of had become one of the better players in Texas in divisional paintball. Um, so everything aside from say semi pro and pro back then it was champion challengers. Um, so I kind of had made a name for myself around some of the tournaments, um, at least in like the local scene. And the guy that ran PPS SFO named Brock Bohannon, uh, knew Greg Pauly, he had been around Texas for a long time. Brock, Brock had. Uh, again, way back into the 10-man days when it was addicted and then, you know, through all this Texas Storm stuff and and been around for forever. So, so I kind of had had a rapport with Greg and GI Sports had just opened a warehouse in Dallas and Greg needed some warehouse racking cut and had called Brock because Brock had some experience of doing that kind of stuff. So Brock called me and was like, hey, you need to come. Help cut this warehouse racking, and I'll introduce you to Greg. And then Brock kind of told him, "Was like, hey, this kid's, you know, kind of the real deal. He's got some potential." And, and then Greg asked Devin Stewart about me, and I guess Devin put in a decent word for me. So go to this, uh, go to the warehouse, cutting warehouse racking all day. Kind of build a little bit of rapport with Greg, and Greg lets me come to a non-layout weekend tryout. So I think it was like. Three or four weeks out from virginia beach it would have been 15 or 16 2015 or 16 something like that um so i go to this non-layout weekend tryout they just basically let me spend the day with them kind of play with some of the dallas diesel guys um next thing i know greg and nathan roberts pulled me aside and say hey you need to buy a flight to virginia beach if you're interested and that was kind of a shock to me because again i've never played Above Division Four at the time, so so the chance of playing semi-pro was just crazy. Um, Immediately bought the flight, went and played, and then the Thursday layout weekend, the Thursday practice at the event, I kind of started getting more and more reps on the layout, and the next thing you know, Greg started me the first match, and that was kind of it. It was just craziness to me. I I mean, I the, the nerves going into that were ridiculous again just never playing high level paintball um but over the time uh, when i uh playing on diesel i had a good long talk with greg and he kind of asked me you know he's like what are your goals what are your ambitions are you trying to play say that you've been there done that are you trying to develop you know what is it and i told him you know i i want to go pro i i didn't think i'd make it this far and if i'm going to play real high level paintball i want to go pro just because I I like the the competition within myself, I, I like to you know see what I can do. So, Greg told me you know he's like well, you know what are you willing to do? And I was like if I'm willing to do whatever it takes. And he said, can you play paintball five days a week? And I was like I told him I'd make it happen, whatever that, whatever that took. So again, the stars just kind of aligning here. There's a new paintball field in College Station, Texas, which which is where Texas A&M is at, called Zooms Paintball. Greg just, Greg talked with uh, Ryan over at Zooms, letting know that, hey, there's this kid and also Devin who just got on the team. Devin just left VCK and joined AC Dallas. Um, He's like, I got these two guys that are in the area. They maybe want to do some drills. They're kind of pretty self-sufficient. They can bring their own paint or whatever, you know, help promote the field and whatnot. Can they come out? And Ryan agreed. And so Greg made sure that, Devin and I had enough paint to do some drills and to play as much as we wanted to play. And that's what Devin and I did. We ended up playing four to five days a week for almost every single, for for almost two years, I guess. And uh, I was able to stick and made pro. So, um, you know, d- didn't wash out. And that's it. That's the, that's the, that's the full story right there.
0: Yeah, I remember um, back in kind of that 15 to 2018, 2019, back when I was on the Texas Longhorns, we had always heard of how Texas A&M was like constantly playing, constantly doing these drills, largely um, with how much you were playing, you know, both with at Zooms. And then I believe you also had like a indoor setup at like one of the rec gyms with ReBalls. And just, you know, seeing this whole setup and how often y'all were playing just – we knew, like, oh, and also, obviously, like, you know, big names like yourself, like Devin Stewart, like all of the other VCK guys, like, uh, we knew that y'all were uh, definitely a threat at the college scene, for sure.
1: Yeah, uh, <laughs> the joke always goes that um, we used to tell people that A&M was offering crazy scholarships to <laughs> for, for paintball players, and, and, you know, all these guys came to... The school at the same time for the scholarship, but it it, it would again just the stars kind of align. So you had um, in college paintball at the time, you had little glimpses like little flashes of stardom. You had the Bornstein brothers, which I don't I actually don't even know if it was uh, both of them or if it was just Corey um, played at uh, Long Beach. Then you had some of the vicious guys played at uh, the University of Omaha. And there's all these like flashes of these pro guys and, and whenever you get one or two pro guys, that, that team usually did really well. And um it just it worked out that I had just made semi pro. I was probably the least experienced player on the team. You have Devin Stewart, who had played uh VCK and was on AC Dallas. You had Cam McCarty, who had played VCK, B- uh, you had Logan Edwards, also BCK, uh Yashu, VCK, and um shoot uh jake Seba, vck and was playing on uh zone semi-pro then you have guys like dana morales who was coming up the ranks to play in division two at the time would go semi-pro and then pro uh and then you had some of the alum who was already or not alum but some of the the more vet guys who was already winning on their own um like brady callen uh mike stracken um Some of those dudes had already won tournaments on their own and were, you know, mid to high level divisional players. And then just the stars aligned and we all played at the same time. And we just kind of had this dream team. It was just craziness. But um, yeah, so A&M for the club sport, we had Tuesday practices indoors. They let us use their archery gym, which is basically just a basketball gym that had kind of these archery pads and nets at the end of it and we would go in there play reball chrono down to like 250 or something like that um do some reball drills and it's kind of an indoor thing it's not this massive glamorous facility but it was fun a lot of fun it was basically an event uh an excuse for people to go play paintball and then go to uh, a pizza spot after <laughs> after and have a uh, half price pizza on tuesdays but so devin and i were playing uh, with Dallas or Diesel, Saturday and Sunday, usually take Mondays off. Indoor Tuesdays, we'd play, do drills. Wednesdays, Thursdays, take Fridays off get ready to go um, or drive to wherever we're, we're practicing at, and then practice again Saturday, Sunday. So four to five days a week, every single week, and it was just madness. But spending time behind your gun is, I mean, you get good so good so fast, no matter what drills you're doing, just being behind a paintball gun.
0: Oh yeah. Especially with how much uh, y'all were on there. I mean, I know that a lot of people that I've talked to like in kind of low to mid division, uh, they're seeing big improvements, just going two days a week, Saturday and Sunday or like Sunday. And then like one weekday, Uh, I can't imagine going five days a week. How, how quickly uh, you kind of, you know, increase your trajectory there.
1: Yeah. And it's not, I I know that sounds like a, completely unreasonable kind of feat but, um just because paintball is not a cheap sport and and the amount of paint involved but honestly a lot of times Devin and i would go share a case we'd shoot you know 500 a thousand rounds a piece just spend an hour hour and a half behind a gun um and that's really all it takes you do that every single day just a bag here a bag of paint here a bag of paint there just spending time you know holding your gun your shot gets so dialed you you never have to, like, shake off the cobwebs, you know, Sunday morning or Saturday morning whenever you're playing again on the weekend on a layout. You're just you're dialed 100 yeah, percent.
0: Well, that'll definitely do it. Um, So with all of the time that you've, like, spent here playing in Texas all the way from, you know, 2000, like 10, 2012, all the way up to now. Well, I guess now 2008, we said almost 15 years Uh, so with all that time that you've been playing here in Texas, like what are some of the things that you've noticed that have changed over the period of time? I mean, you've also risen the ranks really quickly, uh, but just over that period of time, what are some things that you've noticed have changed about the scene?
1: Yeah. So when when I was playing divisional paintball in Texas, uh, there's tournaments going on But there was kind of, it's usually the ASBL and the SCPA and like then your local three mans. And then the ASBL grew and grew and grew. And they rebranded into the USXBL. And that kind of took off. Um, So I wasn't playing divisional paintball anymore with the USXBL. But with the AC crew, we were refing it or helping run the tournaments or whatever. And those tournaments grew into craziness. And then with any kind of great success, you have competitors come along. And now you have tournaments like uh, Bunkerfest, which is just going crazy, Um, and even something like the really small local stuff. The the HBL down in Houston is super cool. They're doing a lot of really cool prizes and and kind of different stuff. Because growing up, it was always you know you you win you get some cash, you win you get some guns, or or whatever, and and that was all the model the model. But like the HBL, they were giving away Johnny Dang grills. Uh, for one of their prizes, which is super cool. Uh, so some of the cool stuff they're doing with the local tournaments it, it's all grown up, whether... And and there's been waves of, you know, everything's USXBL, and then you have some competition, and then you have the rise of, like, the really small three-mans, and then the three-mans turn into five-mans, and then you have these little pockets of leagues that are all growing. And it, it's really, really cool to see. Because uh, when I was coming up, it was one or two leagues and you travel all over texas to play that league and now there's there's leagues there's leagues just for dfw there's leagues just for austin there's leagues just for houston and san antonio and it just makes it way more accessible for players that are kind of coming up and just trying to play paintball
0: yeah i mean just off the top of my head i can name at least six different uh leagues here in texas i mean you've got obviously usxbl that's been around for a very long time you've got bunker fest which is now becoming its own series up at giant party sports um you've got uh fits got essentially two series just at fit you've got the star yep. series and you've got xtpl so uh there's a right. lot of options just there in Dallas alone and then you've got other local series like the hdps like um let's see what else is there like the x factor paintball series um just so many different options. Oh, and then, of course, you know, Fit, not to mention Fit's also doing their Mech X-Ball thing. So that's that's another series. They've got three different yeah. series uh, going on at X or at a, up, up at a Fit. So lots of options there and uh, here in Texas. So really cool to see. And uh, right now with uh, BunkerFest uh, last year, um, doing these events with huge prize pools uh, last year and the year before, you're starting to see uh, that kind of reflected as you know competition comes in, everybody else is having to adjust. And now like uh, the F- XTPL, they're offering five grand for first place in these huge series prizes. So uh, it's really great to see uh, all of the options and how uh, great it is, I think, for the players in Texas at this time.
1: Yeah, and one thing to mention about like some of the fit tournaments, and, and uh, I think Bunkerfest is doing it now too. USA's kind of started with like the Premier League, and some of these other leagues are doing it as well. Um, when I was coming up, you had Division Four and Three, and that was it. And then you then above Division Three, you're you're only playing national events. You're only playing PSPs. So it, it, there was a little bit of a fear of kind of ranking out. Of the local stuff and then only be able to play division um national things which if that's what you wanted to do that's great but say you go play some of those events and you, and you rank out it, you can't derank, rank it takes several years um at one point in time i calculated my score on um appa and if i had stopped playing this was a year or two ago i don't know what's at now but if i had stopped playing for seven years no paintball whatsoever I'd be ranked Division 2 so I could play a Division 3 tournament again, which is just craziness. But I think it's so cool that there's tournaments like uh, what they're doing out at Paintball Fit and USXBL and Bunker Fest, the Premier Leagues, where you can have a pro, you can have a semi-pro, or you can have um, maybe it's an open tournament. They've done some where it's open, but they ca- they can't have had a win and things like that so where you, you it gives these local pros and and semi pro guys that have um either either still playing or had played and kind of taken a step back to be able to play local tournaments again with their friends and family but not be forced to you know just be like a coach or something like that so i i think it's super cool
0: yeah and with bunkerfest now doing their i mean their top division is D1 I, I believe, or it might be D2 with uh, a D1 and a pro or something like that. But these higher ranked guys, like, uh, for example, with USXBL's Premier League, which is D3, uh, plus, you know, it's the normal D3 rules for NXL. So you can have either two D2 or a D2 and a D1. Um, like with these higher ranked guys, you, like, sure, you could play, but you're essentially guesting on other teams. Whereas now with these, um, higher and higher divisions coming in, you've got places for entire squads to play, which is, I, I think it's great to see. And it's also going to keep more of these higher division players in Texas without having uh like necessitating those guys making crazy leaps from division four from division three, all the way up to pro like, like you did or with uh I guess another example would be Logan Dyer who went from playing division three all the way up to playing pro for AC diesel.
1: Yeah, and I, I actually remember kind of having a talk with Logan, or a lot of us did, and we're, we kind of asked him, like, is this really what you want to do? Because once you are on these rosters, whether you play or not, once you sign that form and you go play some of these pro events, you're going to get the pro points, and you're going to rank out. So you'll, you won't—it's it, you will many years before you can play local events again, unless you have some of these leagues that allow you to have one or two of those guys. So, I mean, it, it's— I think that alone has deterred some people from going pro or or playing some of these big national events when they get the invite and this lets them, you know, take that chance, you know, play an event or two and see if it works out, see if it's for them. And then they can either stay or not. Um, But yeah, totally. I mean, there's a, there's a 10 man that I've played for the last couple of years with PPS SFO out in paintball central It's Tyler Humphreys field. And Last year and the year before, I would get all these questions like, Why are you out here? Like, you're one of the few pros that are out here. One of the other pros was, uh, like Chris Shear, who grew up in that area, so that made sense. Um, but they were like, You know, why is this whatever team? How do they have access to a pro that plays on Infamous? And it's like, Well, I grew up playing with all these guys, I work with those guys, and then that one's my brother, so it all <laughs> makes sense, right? Like, I'm just trying to play with my friends, <laughs> it's, it's not all about, you know getting these crazy mercenaries to like win tournaments. Sometimes people just want to play with their friends. Mm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I I also think that's really cool that you get to play with your brother. Like I remember uh, just the NCPA tournaments when y'all kind of going up against each other, you with Texas A&M, him with North Texas. Uh, Just remembering those. And then, uh, I mean, really it's just a cool thing to get to play with family members, especially at that kind of, level not just you know doing rec ball or anything like that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean that that's what I my brother and I are little under two years apart, so we grew up super tight and we both played paintball and we both still play to this day. So you know, we paintball on the same team pretty much all of our lives until I had a shot and then that was that and now I, I don't get a chance to play with them anymore. So anytime I can I'm I'm going to
0: Yeah for sure. I mean who wouldn't so Um, you talked a lot about kind of like your, how you've prepared and, and your, your climb up to the top, all the way to the, to the pro spot on AC Dallas. Uh, so let's, let's talk more about your time on AC Dallas. So from about like 2017 to 2020 ish, uh, AC Dallas was consistently like one of the top teams in the, in the NXL. And, uh, throughout that period, I think they had like three or four four finals appearances, but they were never able to get that first place for whatever reason. So uh, looking back on that time period now, do you think that there was like, was there a s- specific thing that was holding y'all back from getting that win? Or was it just like different circumstances depending on the event?
1: Uh, Some of it's circumstances, but um, so w- one of the, the magic of AC Dallas was our roster size. We had, Five, six or seven dudes almost the entire time that I was on the team. So the beauty of that is that when you're practicing and when you're getting ready for tournaments, and then when you're at the tournaments, you have dudes that are getting so much more rep, so many more reps on the field than anybody else. So if you have five or six guys, they're practice, almost everybody's playing almost every single point in practice. And then you get to the tournament, same thing. You're playing every single point. If you look at almost every single tournament, the, the teams, with bigger rosters, they might run lines or they might kind of experiment with some things in prelims, but in Sunday, it's five or six guys. It's whoever's playing the best and that, that's it. Um, and with AC, we kind of start it right at that because that's all we had. So you you end up gelling with the guys so much more. The communication is so precise and perfect and we're so critical on each other. Because also the, the other aspect of that is nobody's trying to Win playing time at practice, which I think is a huge deal in a lot of teams, especially with bigger rosters, you got guys that are going out there and practicing and they're trying to get playing time at the tournament. So they're kind of pushing it at practice, doing things that aren't realistic or maybe not being the most honest at practice. And then when you have five dudes, we know everyone's going to play. So there's no point in cheating or doing things that are unrealistic. You just have to figure it out. And that's the mindset you go into every single layout is that this is what it's going to be. We have to figure it out. There's no variables there of like, oh, well, I don't know if this guy's going to play or that guy's going to play or or, or what. Um, so that was one of the the best things about AC Dallas. The downside about that is that when you get to those finals matches, or like deep into Sunday matches, and you've played 50 or 60 points in a weekend, and the guy across from you has played 30 it adds up. It, it, it's tiring. I mean, I, I remember a few finals matches where we're on the start box and my legs are shaking. And it's just craziness, you know. So, and, and I think the first one that we ever went to, the first finals, is a little bit of people were just kind of happy to be there. We finally made a finals. Um, at the time, I think Greg's best finish as a coach was fourth. Don't quote me on that. might have been third. I think it was fourth. So we were happy to have gotten past semi fi- uh, semis and that was like a big goal of Greg's and the teams and then we kind of weren't all there weren't we, I mean, we were focused but you know there's there's this experience there's a whole nother level to finals that you don't realize until you get there you, you're, you're playing guys that have been in finals probably 10 plus times and they just know how it's going to work and i mean for one you're playing x-ball so it's different and just being ready for that. So then going back after our first finals, we started uh, doing matches in X-Ball instead of doing matches split deck. You, at least, you know, a couple times here, just to get, just to get used to that. And you, you, there's a different tempo in finals. So then, you know, like the next time, we're like, um, go in and we go, you know, here's the plays where we dropped the first two or three plays. And then since everyone knew the first two or three plays and knew everything to the... Minute little detail. We were going too fast. We knew we wanted to go here and then here's our secondaries and then We were just going too fast running at the guns. I think we're playing heat and got just blown out So then you know, that's the learning experience the next finals and then it's, it's all these learning experiences that Ultimately lead to a win. We just didn't quite get there and then stack on top of just being super tired it's I don't think that we necessarily would not have gotten there. It's just everything has to go right. You have to be really good. The paint has to break, and you have to be a little bit lucky to win, to win one of these matches. That's what it comes down to. Sometimes the best team does not win, and not to say that we were the best team. It's just there has to be a little bit of luck to it, and then being skilled makes you just have to have less luck is really what it comes down to.
0: Right, and I remember those rosters, uh you know just running five six seven guys you pretty much it was like you had matt jackson john jackson brad mccurley tj janner was hurt for a large portion of that time period uh so you had, it was those three you had let's see yourself uh i know you had axel goddin for a season um i think you brought in uh there's there's someone i'm missing in there Maybe, maybe it is Daniel Morales. So we for had, a uh, there's, there's a couple of guys in there.
1: No, uh, Danny played after I had left Diesel or after I left Dallas. Mm. So we had it was me, TJ, Don Fuzz, um, and Brad for a lot of it. And then some, some events, that was it. We brought in uh, a couple guys here or there. At one point, we had uh, Brandon Morales, and then we had. Um, Brandon Rabikoff and then we had, and and not all at the same time, so, you know, it's a guy here, a guy there, whatever. And then uh, Mike Warren played for a year or two, and I think that was one of our bigger stretches when we had Mike, Um, our bigger roster sizes. And then uh, we moved BJ up from Diesel to Dallas, uh, BJ Henningberg, and it was Mike and BJ. And I think that was maybe our largest roster we ever had. Um, so I'm mean, really only ever one or two guys on the bench, hardly ever. Um, which uh, again is really good, but also, you know, 50, 60, 70 points into a tournament, it, it wears on you.
0: Yeah. I mean, especially in those, those games where, uh, shoot, you're playing, well, granted, you were kind of playing less points just because of how the, the meta was at that time, but even then, you're, you know, that's what, four matches in prelims and then uh quarter semis finals at seven, potentially eight games. I don't know if there was the wild card round at that point or not. But uh you know, that many matches just in three days when you're spending the same five guys every point for the entire match, uh kind of gets I, I can imagine that when you get to the finals definitely uh the the fatigue sets in.
1: Yeah, and we had teams we kind of had a rep of playing slow which we definitely did but we also just didn't we try to play high percentage paintball more than anything which typically tended to be slower paintball but teams also knew our roster size and they would try to push fast points on us so they were going to go okay we're going to try to play more points win or lose and kind of wear them down so i think a lot of teams that uh when they played us they specifically try to play more points just because they knew we were spending the same dudes Got it. All
0: right, uh, and kind of talking about that gets me a little bit into my next point, which is this this system that y'all were playing uh, under Greg Pauly. Um, so Greg Pauly, he's you know a legendary coach and has even been credited with uh, some of like the the zone and playing crossed uh, guns, locking down zone. Like this whole system of paintball, he's been. Uh, you know, at least part of that's been attributed to him and how it's changed how paintball is played. So what was it like playing under his coaching?
1: So Greg's an interesting coach in that um, definitely deserves all the praise and respect that he gets. Um, so I just want to start that off. But he, he doesn't have the coaching style that a lot of people think he has. Um, when he was on Vicious, he was ultra hands-on, Kind of, like, right in the pits, right in people's faces, and part of his move, his physical move to Texas, was he kind of wanted to to rebrand himself and, and like restart, take a new approach. Um, so he didn't get ultra aggressive toward, towards players like he used to. Um, and he there'd always be people that you know would come and like visit, or Greg would always say it, and stuff of you know, they're like, Oh, it's the new Greg and, and whatnot, but um. So, on AC, we had a lot of really intelligent players. So, you have John Jackson, who's one coach of the event on Edmonton Impact, one of their events. Uh, so, at the time John was playing, uh, TJ Danner, super smart, was super smart. Um, I like to think that I have a, a good amount of paintball IQ. So, Greg kind of let us, He he developed a system that kind of let us run our own show. So i guess there's two systems going on first of all his 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 style of play the zone defense style of play that was more or less developed to allow lesser talented players to be competitive just based on necessity and i'm not dogging on any of these players back in like vicious days or anything like that um Greg took a bunch of kids that had no business being where they were and made them into real deal pros. So again, not dog on anyone, like it's it's totally legit. And the way he did it was through this style of play of everyone does their job and when those jobs break down, here's the switches and it's pure trust in your other guy. And all you have to do is do your job and execute and things work out. Now it's not flashy you don't have single guys you know running down the field doing all this crazy stuff but all you had to do was your job and things worked out so that's what he instilled in me back then there was the the wall bunker right and that's kind of where I ended up being and my job was to not let a guy pass my gun and then try to get two guys off the field nothing else mattered I didn't have to worry about is now the time to trade out is now the time to make a big run through if I shot a guy and I knew there was a guy on the other side of the wall, it was instant. If I shot a guy, bunker the other guy. All I did was two. If I, if I get two guys out the field every single point, things are going to work out great. Now I didn't get two guys out the field every single point. If I did, I would have the highest uh, kill per point ratio in the league. But it, it, it takes away those those thought processes of is now the right time to make this move or not. So like, let's take it to like a snake guy. You know, you're in the snake. Uh, you're crawling down you know there's a guy in front of you a, a bunker or two down uh, you know a knuckle or two down you you're hanging out you finally get a kill across the field instant launch go get the other snake guy get two guys out the field so if you have two or three guys on the field trying to get two well there's only five guys on the field so things usually work out and that's that's the simplest way that greg broke it down was everyone do their job and things work out and and that, that is Greg's brilliance as a coach really. And then the other side of that is his player development aspect of that is, he didn't really call the plays necessarily or, or and things like that. He was more of, hey, if you're gonna run this play, here's how you can do it better. And he would give players the tools they needed to be good. So like in in my personal experience, you know what is it going to take to be good? Well, you need to make up a lot of ground going from Division Four to to semi-pro, so you need to play a lot of paintball. And he gave me the, the tools to play paintball almost every single day. And that that's really kind of Greg's pocket and, and brilliance of a coach is player development, and then the system of just doing your job and making paintball a a, a percentage game of just you know if, if you're a five if you're five on four. Uh, and I can trade out, well, it makes it a four-on-three. Yes, I only have one more body, and I only had one more body, but a four-on-three, we have a more percent of players than they do. And then if I trade out again and make it a three-on-two, again, you have more percent. You take it all the way down to a uh, two-on-one, where you have twice as many players as that guy. Yes, it's only one more guy, but that's kind of how Greg broke it down is just percentage of paintball.
0: Yeah, I mean it definitely makes sense and I remember um I think I was playing uh with notorious at the time with uh one of their division 4 lines and we had gotten uh, either it was either Jeremy Zimmerman or Ross Saunders uh who were uh, also members like kind of went through that program a little bit in that style and just the the simplest way they broke it down was as long as it was like either Two kills, three assists, or one of each, I think, is the way that they broke it down. And mm-hmm. that was like, hey, if you can do that every point, then you will win the tournament. Simple as that.
1: Yeah, 100%. It's, it's Again, that's Greg's brilliance as a coach is making paintball super simple and developing players into pros. And then, I mean, like like I said, he he wasn't necessarily the coach that had the the clipboard with all the plays. He he did do this as well, but he he wasn't necessarily that guy. He kind of let us run that on ourselves. Honestly, there's a lot of TJ and John and Fuzz, and I can't tell you how many times we called plays in the box. We kind of ran it in like a pro-style football offense where we had plays with names We had base plays we had base alternates we had audibles and a lot of times it was on the box players calling the plays so not necessarily that greg was joysticking the players and drawing up these master plans but he gave us those tools to be able to do that and all the plays were everything was covered right so everyone had a job it wasn't oh well you you need to go win this game on your own or you need to go you know we're, we're not counting on a guy to make the snake and then go crawl down and shoot everybody. Everyone's job was to, like you said, two kills, three assists, one of each, and each play was d- designed to do that so we could go to the box, call a play, run it, and just do your job.
0: Yeah, well, uh, it definitely the the brilliance and the results showed. I mean, y'all were a top team, and... Uh, and even now that that roster is broken up, like every single one of those players are now, you know, top players on their rosters. I mean, uh, Matt Jackson goes to a stacked Impact team and then immediately wins the Golden Barrel on his first event there. TG Danner comes and shines on X Factor. Uh, John Jackson goes and gets Ironman. I I think that. W- the event or or that season that John Jackson went to the Ironman, that was their first win in however many years. Is that correct?
1: Uh, I don't think John has a win on the Ironman, unless I'm mistaken. Um, but he definitely got him right there. Um, but I, I think John, TJ, and I are still searching for those first wins. Got it. I, yeah, I, uh, I mean, very first event um, after the breakup. It's me with Infamous in the finals and Fuzz with Impact in the finals and both of us started. And then all of us started on I think I think everyone's team made Sunday, I wanna say that first event, and everyone started on their teams. I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure that's that's correct.
0: Well, uh that whole roster has gone on to uh really shine on their respective teams. I mean, even um Like Logan Dyer, who was briefly on AC Dallas right before the breakup. And then same with BJ Hanningberg, both of them going to Diesel. So they're really doing well, and that speaks to the player development. Uh, So um, before we continue, uh, I see we got a couple people in the chat. If you all have a question for Ryan, go ahead and get that in the chat. We will get to all of the questions uh, from the chat towards the end of the episode. So... Uh, now, we've talked about kind of your past and your uh, career so far. Uh, I want to talk about your business that you have in the background there. So let's talk about Arc Anodizing, which um, for anybody who's unfamiliar with the anodizing process, it basically you take a uh, paintball marker, you strip it of its color, and then you can put pretty much whatever design you request on there, whatever you pay for. So, uh, Ryan, could you talk a little bit about like the science behind the anodizing process.
1: Yeah, so overview uh what anodizing is, it's a corrosion and scratch resistant coating that is bonded to aluminum that you can then dye and make look cool. So if you, if you deep dive what it what it really really is, it's what we're doing is we're stripping the current anodizing off or if it's already raw, then you know, we're prepping the parts. It's getting we then anodize it, which essentially what we're doing is anodizing is aluminum oxide. So the parts are made of aluminum. We're doing aluminum oxide. If you know anything about what rust is, iron, rust is iron oxide. So we are essentially rusting purposely the aluminum, but when you do that, aluminum rusts clear. Um so it, you're, you're building these tiny little crystals onto the aluminum that is bonded to it. It's not like paint or something like that that can chip off. Um, and then since it's clear and it, it's porous, like, you know, these little bitty rust crystals, you can then dye in between those rust crystals and then cap it off. And the benefits of doing that is, one, it looks cool. And two, again, it, it then won't continue to corrode and aluminum oxide is way harder than aluminum is. So actually I think I see in the background here. So I've got 3 luxes at various stages. So lux with anodizing on it when it gets stripped it comes down looks about like this kind of silvery, kind of a mattish, um, not too much to it. But this is raw aluminum, and this will scratch super easily, like with a thumbnail with enough pressure. But with anodizing, as you guys know, uh, with paintball guns, it, you can scratch it, but it, you got to really try. And then we take this guy, and we polish it up to something like this. And now this is ready to go into the tank. I think this will actually probably get colored tomorrow. Uh, this is actually for Mason's paintball. So, Nick, if you're watching, your guns are going in the tank tomorrow. Um, yeah, that that's what you're looking for. So this is still raw. If I scratch this hard enough, or you know, with a thumbnail or something, I can scuff it and it's still pretty soft because aluminum is a really soft um metal. But then with um, once you anodize it and build that layer, you get something like this that you can then dye and do all kinds of cool crazy stuff to.
0: Yeah,
1: so I'll uh, put these here Let me I love how you
0: how you have uh, all of this ready to show. I mean, it's it really just it makes the understanding the process behind it a little bit simpler. So, I mean, what was it that made you want to kind of get into this line of work?
1: So, when I was in high school and even a little bit before high school, I was a big nerd. Still am. Um, I loved building autocockers. Which is kind of odd for a high school kid to to like, because that's kind of an older older kind of gun. But I just like tinkering with them. Um, eventually, later down the road, um, when I would go to A and M, I went for a mechanical engineering degree, and I, I just because I love like tinkering and seeing how things work and and taking things apart. My mom used to say you should take everything apart and just to like put it back together. Um, so autocockers cockers were the, kind of the the big gun to to mess with it. and like you do all kinds of weird stuff to them. So I was building these cockers all through like junior high, high school, and all that kind of stuff. and part of the build process to really finish it out is once you do all these modifications, you want it to get it anodized so that everything matches and looks cool. And after so many builds, I had paid for so many anodizings that one of the local guys, Brock Bohannon who um, kind of pushed me to Greg, he I was just like this local field where I had to build an autocockers and he kind of made a joke I was like, why don't you just get like an and does kit like you can get these little at home you know bucket in dozen kits and Just do it yourself like try to save some money like, you know, you the cost of one job is the cost of this little crappy kit and then After a couple jobs you kind of pay for it or whatever if you could figure it out so I did it. I got one of those kits, a buddy of mine named Austin, kind of, we split it. I think it was like 500 bucks or something like that for this crappy little kit. And uh, funny enough, we both started the company together, ARC Anodizing. So that is actually what ARC stands for, Austin Ryan Customs. Uh, We also thought that alliteration sounded good. So anything that says, you know, AA, ARC Anodizing, just sounds good. And and it doesn't have to do with electricity arc is arcs whatever we literally sat down with brainstorm notepads to do this crap one weekend but um that's what arc stands for austin ryan customs a buddy, a good friend of mine uh austin mcdonald we started the company together he ended up going for a phd in physics and kind of stepped away didn't have time to do it anymore and i absorbed the rest of it and just kind of never stopped but that's really it is i was building these autocockers we bought this crappy little at-home kit Ruined a bunch of crap, you know. That was laying around. Our our local field gave us a bunch of old like spider bodies and barrels and stuff to kind of mess around with, and uh, we started doing our stuff. Then once we kind of got that to stick, we'd do a friend's gun for free, and then do another friend's gun for free. And the next thing you know, I think I sold our first Anno job on a complete gun with like thirty parts for like a hundred bucks, something something stupid, uh, just to try to do it. And the guy liked it, and then his friend liked it, and then next thing you know, we're we're anodizing, and and that, that's our company.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely blown up lately. I mean, you've gone from just doing a few guns here and there, mostly like solid colors, a few splashes. Uh, but now, like within the last two, three or so years, you've done more like intricate design work. Most, I mean, most famously with Haley Leva's uh, Lilo and Stitch uh, LV. So, you know, kind of since that made it. know way across the internet. Uh you've done more and more of these intricate designs. Like a few of them that I saw just somewhat recently was like the Red Bull Racing one, which got a lot of attention. Uh you did the Ghostbusters gun, you did the Chick-fil-A Geo4. Uh so with all of like these more intricate designs, I mean obviously I'm, I'm sure it's it's much more difficult to do than just, you know, normal solid colors or, or uh, splashes or fades. But wh- was there, like, new techniques that you developed to make these detailed designs more possible? Or uh, what was it that kind of uh, m- made all of these, uh, like, more intricate designs happen?
1: Yeah, so anodizing is kind of fun in that it's a real small group of guys that do it. Um and, and and women there's not many people that do graphic anodizing. Uh, so basically anything aside from solid colors um there's actually a lot of Anodizing shops kind of everywhere you can get you can find industrial anodizing shops in pretty much every major city that'll do solid black or something like that for you and I've shown some of my stuff to those guys or some of my work has been shown to some of those guys that are on those shops and They don't think it's actually anodizing because it's not possible. But, and not to say that like we do the stuff that's impossible. It's just that the way they do things, um, you you don't want a blemish. You want it to be a perfect, solid color and come out perfectly. Well, what ended up happening was you have all these guys that are just doing these little at-home jobs uh, in their garage with not professional equipment. And they get these little blemishes on their stuff. And the next thing you know, some of the blemishes kind of look cool. <laughs> and they they replicate that. And they start developing those techniques and intentionally doing blemishes. And they say, you know, it's style. So like, like an acid wash is one of our most popular things has been done a million times by us and other people. That is a blemish. It's just a controlled one. You just have to, if you, there's certain things that you can do in your coloring that you can cause that to happen accidentally. And then people kind of, like, ran with it, like, this actually looks kind of cool. And the next thing you know, people are doing acid washes intentionally with much nicer chemicals and and much nicer stuff. But for the longest time, it was splashes, fades, acid washes, maybe some, like, camos and and things like that. Um, And then you have companies like Dye and Eclipse that are doing, like, prints. But they're, they're supplemented. They're really cool and really detailed, but they're not there uh, there's limits to to all of them like you know eclipse can't print on the top of a gun so then you have like this kind of clear spot on the top of the gun which some people like some people don't like so there's there's limits to certain things so then people want these crazy prints but they don't want they want it to be seamless and blend and then they keep asking us to do it and it's like there's things that are just not been done before not that it's not possible just hasn't been done yet so then you you're we ended up brainstorming and just kind of figuring out what can, what can we accidentally do to something to cause a blemish that looks cool and then gets you that effect. And like a big development, which has been around for a while, but it's changed It's like some like uh, what they call like tattoo masking where you, you cut a stencil out, put it on there and then, and then do your stuff like that. And then you get like shapes and characters and you know, logos or, or whatever on there. And it's just kind of developing these processes. But all, all the anodizers, it, it, once you figure something out or once you do something new, you kind of have a window to run with it while it's yours before somebody else figures out how to do it. And nobody's going to tell the other guy how they did it. So it, it, there's super guarded trade secrets and nobody tells the other anodizers or you might I'll tell you how to do this, and you tell me how, to, how you do that kind of deal. Um, so it's really of, you have to figure it out on your own, but once you do, it's only a matter of time before people kind of re- look and the guys that know what they're looking for really kind of see what you did there and, and develop as it. And it's really just like an arms race of that, of, well, I this guy figured this out, now I matched it, and then I can take that technique and then add something that I did you know over here to that, And then it creates something else kind of cool. And then you get that for a little bit. And then somebody else figures out how to add to that. And it's just been like an explosion of, like I said, this arms race of techniques that all these really talented anodizers are doing and coming up with all this new stuff. And so, I mean, it's a cool competition of us pushing each other is really all it comes down to. Yeah. You're really
0: seeing that uh, within, I'd say last two years with, uh, other anodizing companies in Texas, like Outlaw, uh, I think, is, is, do you know of Caustic's in Texas as well?
1: Yeah, so Caustic, um, the guy that runs Caustic's name is Steven. He's uh, in Tomble I believe. Um, he is actually a partner at Outlaw. Uh, and Outlaw, uh, Philip and Marcus over there, and there's there's some other guys too, they run an industrial shop. That's the kind of their bread and butter. They do, like, uh, a lot of um, firearm stuff and big bulk things. And they have guys like Marcus and, and Philip that, that take an artistic approach to that. And, again, cause intentional blemishes to make really cool stuff. Um, and next thing you know, that's, like, their own little side business in their uh, – to pair with their industrial side is they can do all these, like, kind of cool, intricate stuff too. And, and it's – everyone knows each other. And we all have, like, a good friendship more or less. And but it, it's it's you can definitely you figure something out and then you kind of flaunt it for a little bit and like I know something you don't know kind of deal and you trade that secret for something else and and it pushes us all to make really cool stuff. It's really all it comes down to.
0: Yeah, there's been a huge uptick in these really cool like intricate designs since that Lilo and Stitch one came out. Um, I mean, even uh, I know Outlaw has done. Quite a few since then and it's cool to see like y'all are like pretty much just like pioneers in this uh in this little subsection of the industry so um like have you recently like how much since that uh gun came out uh how much have you seen like an uptick in these requests for these more specific designs
1: it's it's almost all we get requests for now it's that gun was is the bane of my existence it, it's it was really cool so it, it, everything kind of aligned in that um you know Haley hit us up and wanted something unique and she really liked the stitch thing and she had this headband that was it's more or less essentially what the gun is um she's like here's my idea you know kind of do whatever you want with it and then brock who works with me um his family spends a lot of time in hawaii and uh his in-laws have a house in hawaii and so they're always going back and forth so brock kind of loves that he, i mean brock has like all kinds of hawaiian tattoos and stuff too he loves that kind of culture and that kind of imagery and he's, he's had these ideas of making this like kind of hawaiian landscape for forever we just never done it we've never had the time to sit down and do it or like it's hard to do your own guns when we just have so much stuff to do so when that gun came through and Haley let us kind of do whatever we want and he saw like more or less what she the, the headband is based off of was the hawaiian imagery you know the, the volcanoes in the background and palm trees and, and stuff like that brock's like i have all these ideas already lined up ready to go we just have to pull it off somehow and we did it and once we did it it's now we no longer get asked for the phase and the splashes <laughs> and the, the the stuff that i spent so long figuring out how to get good at and now it's all these crazy ideas and People off the wall, I mean, if you can see some of the quotes we're getting right now, it is absolutely ridic- ridiculous, people, what people want. But it, it's fun. You know, people have some really cool ideas, things that you'd never think of, and then you, it's just up to us to figure out how to do it. Or A lot of times people come up with stuff that we've never even thought of. Um I'm trying to think of a good one. But there's definitely guns that, you know, we get a lot of credit for that wasn't our idea. We just did it. And it's all up to the customer. They just had a really cool idea.
0: And I bet, uh, I I hope that y'all are, uh, at least compensating yourselves financially for all of that extra work. I'm sure it is. Uh, cause it sounds like all of those stenciling and other intricate designs seems like a lot more work than just doing like a simple splash or a simple fade.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, the, the price goes up with, with more intricate designs um but it it, it 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 is really fun and rewarding we so i mean you can see some of the stuff in the background we have stuff that we never post and and, and probably never will but we that we do within the industry that is i'm not gonna say simple stuff but because it, it is really cool stuff you know really cool phase ass wash splashes and things like that that we do every single day on top of You know these crazy custom guns so we might do one crazy custom gun a day with kind of some of this other background stuff that we do in between while things are drying or while we're setting up the next color or whatever it is so we're we're able to you know sometimes we take the hit on that first gun because we don't know if it's even possible and it's kind of just a test piece and then it comes out really cool but then people see that and next thing you know they want more of it or they want they want to change it to put their own little spin on it. And it, it, it is really fun and it's rewarding and, you know, everyone's happy over here. So definitely,
0: I mean, y'all are pretty much just artists uh and putting things out on a pretty uh, large scale. Like I know with some of the, like the TM forties that you brought it, it looked like those were the, were those the project TM forties that you were bringing the bodies?
1: yeah uh here yeah, i still have one so yeah the project team 40s i think these are i think they have 11 or 12 of these uh but these these are the last i think of the project team 40s um in this run anyway and these will all be stripped some, some of them have already been stripped but um these will be stripped go to polish probably tomorrow the next day and um I mean, we do a ton of stuff so see let me get my finger going there's lv2s those are for project we just finished those today there's Inception stuff. We probably have 80 Inception guns right now. There's TM40s up there uh, Powerhouse stuff down at the very bottom It filled one barrels Going right there. It's It's kind of nuts and then we have free flow on the other side So we do a lot of stuff in the industry that kind of a lot of people don't see um, I never ask anybody to you know put a plaque up or with our name on it next to the booth you know if you I always look at it like if you're if you pay us to to do a job that's what you paid for is to do the job we don't ask for extra advertising or anything like that right if you want to it's great but we don't there's a lot of the stuff that we don't get credit for necessarily which i'm not looking for the credit i mean that's what pays the bills ultimately but there's tons of stuff in the industry that you know we never post and but it gets out there and we do a ton of volume and it, it it is really rewarding, so no complaints whatsoever.
0: oh well, yeah, I mean hell if you're getting that much volume, I'm assuming that you've uh you're pretty much exclusive with uh with project as far as like you know them only coming to you for all of these different jobs. So that's high praise for getting to do all of this volume and pretty much just constantly having work.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and and I mean, that's another thing. I I don't I don't ever make somebody be exclusive with us. You know, I think if we do good work and it's at a reasonable price and people like it, and they'll come back, and that's all it comes down to it. And luckily, we're in a position where we're not hunting for work necessarily, so we just try to do the best we can and let, let everything sort itself out. And typically, it's rewarded with more stuff. So, you know, again, no complaints there, and it helps. It helps uh, me being kind of in the paintball scene a little bit. I, I know Archie and Ryan personally. I play 10 men with those guys all the time or practice them or, you know, see them all the time. So it helps building rapport with a lot of the industry guys too. So um, not going to lie about that. But again, we, we really just focus on doing good work. And if people want, like it, they'll come back. And that's the simplest thing. But it is a bit of a privileged position having work to do so we're not – you know, trying to make people sign contracts or trying not to make them advertise that we did stuff so we can get more work or whatever. We kind of just keep our heads down and stay in our little shop and do stuff.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's all good stuff. I went to you with uh, a GO3 back over uh, 2020. It was like a black and white uh, US flag. I don't know if you remember that GO3, but uh, that was... That was that was uh, an awesome design and I've just been like thinking like man what's what are all these things that are possible now with all these new techniques? So uh I really enjoy this stuff that you're putting out. I mean everybody else is definitely noticed with uh obviously being featured with Planet Eclipses uh competition with all the different anodizers, so uh that's that's awesome to see. Uh so real quick, I'm gonna get with one question in the chat that's that's related, that's why I wanna insert it in now. Uh, is from uh get that shot, Carlos Rangon from uh he's a photographer. He actually does a lot of stuff for ProShar at the uh at the Pro events. So his question is how long did it take for you to learn this anodizing trade?
1: Um I would say so we started in 2012 was when I essentially started doing a gun other than my own stuff and that was, you know, my local friends, you know, whatever it was at the time, Ego, what was it, Ego 10 or something like that, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, So we we probably, so I, we were fortunate in that our local field that I played at since I could play there, really good friends with them, they just had boxes of old stuff, you know, old spider barrels that nobody could use or, Uh, bodies or intimidator bodies and and just and they used to have a like a custom machine shop too so they have some stuff that they had tested machine stuff on that you know was ruined or or whatever or just like test bodies and stuff that really just scrap aluminum and they give us these huge boxes of aluminum that we just do all kinds of stuff on and Austin and I spent so many nights until the sun came up in my parents garage uh, just messing with stuff we probably spent probably spent the better part of a year before we did anybody's project aside from our own one and even our own personal guns was i don't even remember what the first one was i'm sure it was something super simple like a solid color whatever um but i would say before we really launched it and kind of became something that we advertised that we did anodizing it was probably a couple years of uh just kind of trial and error and messing around with stuff
0: got it i mean now it's uh pretty much a full-time thing for you so uh all that extra hard work and i'm sure you're uh getting all of that extra material to practice on was huge as well i mean uh similar story with you climbing from d4 all the way to semi-pro just like having all this extra uh stuff to practice on continuously working on it
1: yeah, I mean, that's it, always one of the cool things. That, I've, that was one of the big draws to paintball for me was that I, I'm a very competitive person. Um, if anyone's met me, I'm not a massive person. You know, I, I'm not some six-foot athletically dominant person or anything like that. So paintball was uh, – I was never – I mean, I, I played a lot of sports, and I was pretty good at a lot of different sports, but, like, I, I knew I wasn't going to go pro in anything. Uh, any sport that i wanted to play i should have played golf when i was in high school is what i really should have done but um uh paintball was cool that it was you know everybody was bad at paintball when you first start and it's just a matter of how good do you want to be and how much effort you want to put into it and that's really all paintball comes down to and so i'm kind of drawn to those kind of things of nobody knows how to do this or nobody's good at it when you start you know how how good do you want to be kind of kind of deals that's really kind of what I enjoy personally.
0: For sure. Uh, so uh, speaking of how good you want to be and how good you are now, let's talk about your uh, kind of your current situation with your pro career. So um, talking about after uh, the your time with AC Dallas, uh, after the 2020 season, so that was cut short due to COVID, uh, the entire AC Dallas roster parted ways to different teams and they ended up picking up the paintball fit guys. So TJ went to X-Factor, Matt went to Impact, John went to the Iron Man. Uh Brad had already previously left to go to Damage and then uh BJ and uh Logan was on the roster at the time went uh to Diesel and then you went to Infamous. So uh do you could you tell us at all about like kind of what led to the entire roster falling apart? Cuz like we've seen uh, you know big moves here and there, but that's usually like one or two guys You'd never really see like an entire roster just kind of splitting up
1: Yeah, so for, First and foremost it, it, there wasn't like one event or one guy that just blew up or anything nothing dramatic like that um, with AC we We developed into a team that was getting a lot of success and a lot of eyes on us um, so for years and years, there was a lot of chatter and a lot of offers to a lot of a lot of the players on the team of like, "Hey, come here, we'll you know we'll get you a win and and pay you this or that or whatever," and um, everyone always turned it down for years and years and years. You know, I know Fuzz had offers for forever. John did. TJ had tons of offers. Um, Brad was getting offers since I'm sure before he was even on the team, and so there's all these years of turning it down because everyone really, we all really liked each other and we all really want it to win together. And that was kind of the whole goal. And it's still the goal. We still have some like old group chats that still go off every now and then. We're like, wouldn't it be cool to like put a team into like some tournament here or there, you know, if, if the stars aligned or, or whatever, or just like get together and play. Cause we all do enjoy each other. Like I went to John's Halloween party and I was in his wedding or not in his wedding. I was at his wedding. Um, but so, on a personal level, we all just like each other and we were all turning down these offers to go to the other teams. But after so many years of not getting a win and at the time, nobody on the team had a win except for Brad, we all were just kind of craving that win. And it was, there was many years of one more year, one more year, you know, like everyone's going to stay one more year and then we're going to get the win. And, and then we could all do whatever we could all retire or you can go wherever you want or whatever. And it was just to me of those one more years, essentially. And then it, it ended up being as soon as one person left, everyone's like, well, we all have offers to go play these other teams that we could potentially playing a tribute at, but also potentially get a win. And once one of us went, the we knew having such a small roster, the rebuild would be so hard to replace one of those core guys. And then we all kind of just like went after those offers, essentially. So there's nothing, like I said, one giant blow-up or anything like that, aside from, you know, TJ taking the first offer and killing the team. But, you know, that's (laughs) a different story. But uh, it's really all it was, was many years of one more year, and then we all decided, like, well, maybe it won't happen, or maybe it will, but we're not going to play paintball forever. You know, we all want to play on these teams that we used to have posters on, you know, on our walls for. And, so eventually we, we kind of, you know, took that chance in and, and went for those, those teams, you know, what, you know, I, I remember having posters, of the infamous or like, uh, getting signings and stuff like that. Same with like X factor and you're seeing impact win all the time. And so it, it's, it's a lot to turn down those offers really for that long. And eventually it just kind of added up is all, is all really boiled down to.
0: So for you personally, why infamous?
1: Um, so infamous really attracted me in that almost every single person on the team owns their own business uh, Some former entrepreneur. So I mean Travis Owns infamous. Uh, th- that is his brand. He he also has a foundation fndn um, You have cali who's basically works for uh, infamous now or but was a solo graphic designer for empire and for the longest time kind of ran his own show Yeah, Cody owns his own, uh, business, his, uh, huge vending outfit up in, um, Wisconsin. Uh, shoot, who else is there? Uh, drawing blanks here. But, uh, Brett owns his own business up in Portland, Maine. Uh, massive, massive outfit that he's got going on up there. So, that really attracted me uh, that I, at the time, my business was getting crazy busy. I was working... 60, 70 hours a week, seven days a week, just to try to keep up with demand. And I wanted, um, I wanted to kind of explore those options, really deep dive with some of those guys that have been there, done that, in terms of owning their own business and just kind of see what they had to offer. And that's kind of what really Travis and Cody kind of sold me on. Um, and I'm really glad I did because I've learned so much from those guys. So and that, that was really, it was, the, the wealth of resources and knowledge that those guys have uh, in running a business
0: I mean Infamous as a brand themselves they are one of the few pro teams out there that have their own business through their brand I mean uh, with the whole pro DNA uh, line of products now as well I mean that's uh, it seems like a perfect fit
1: yeah absolutely like, like I said it, it's It was almost a no-brainer for me, and there's some other teams here and there, but uh, it was just so attractive to, like, once I really kind of started talking to those guys about, like, what would you do in this situation, or or, how do you set up your corporation like this or that, and, you know, these are, like, questions that not everybody knows right off the top of their head, but these guys are just, like, on it because they've been doing it for years, and, you know, Travis kind of promised me more or less that I would grow my business, and it has grown with his help and some other, you know, and just time itself, but, um, and like I said, it's Los Angeles infamous. I mean, I, I remember growing up and, you know, you got your dynasties, your infamouses, your avalanches even, or, or, or like, or, uh, damage went on for run, run for a while and X Factor. Those are like the big, you know, names that have always like kind of bounced around in my head. Uh, Heat, like how would you not take a chance to some of these big name teams with being some local Because, like i know i've had some success here and there but i still look at myself as just this local texas field rat that got a shot it is really all it is so it you know it's kind of living like a like a fantasy in, in in my mind
0: well uh you're there now and uh i mean infamous has immediately had a really great season Uh, After after you arrived, which uh, was Greg Sewer's final year playing uh, and y'all ended up taking second place for the series with, uh, I think, a finals appearance at the first event of the year. That sounds that sounds about right. So uh, obviously this year didn't go the way that y'all wanted it to. But uh, looking to next year, you've already made a couple of roster moves. You've uh, picked up Joe Barrett and you've picked up Ed Challenger. So obviously, you know next year the goal is always to win events and win the series. So does Infamous have anything else on the horizon? either more roster moves or merchandise gear or anything like that?
1: You'll definitely see some more gear for sure. Um, there definitely is gonna be some roster changes coming too. Um, can't really speak to any of them, but um, and some some are still like developing. you know, Travis is always looking for new talent. And seeing what's out there, or or what combinations of players make sense, um, but you'll definitely see some roster changes coming soon. And then, um, for as far as cure and stuff, I mean, every single practice, every single time I see Travis, he has something new. He's developing something. I mean, people don't realize that Travis has kind of been in this game for forever. He was the guy at Empire designing a lot of the really cool like pads and uh slider pants and some of the gear bags and 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 packs and and all kinds of cool stuff that empire when when they were kind of real big in the psp days um travis was a big part of that so like i said every single time i see him he has something new whether it's a prototype or a beta test or or something there's always new stuff some some things make it some things don't but there's always new stuff in the pipeline with with travis
0: Oh, for sure well we're looking forward to all that new stuff coming out uh so quick question that I have for you about uh kind of going back to that AC Dallas roster uh 2019 uh Bear DeGidio being on the APPA roster for AC Dallas. What was up with that? Like was it like some sort of weird inside joke or was he ever actually like involved with the team in any way or what was up?
1: <laughs> so that was that was kind of a Greg thing. Um <laughs> we were we, we were a team that had some success, but we were never, you know, the like. We'll say the, the big name brand team. Um, so Greg always thought, like, what if we had this, like, crazy hype guy that would sell a ton of jerseys and just bring a ton of attention to the team and just all this stuff. And uh, Bear never made it down to practice, unfortunately, but it, it was a fun little ride, um, like I said, selling a ton of jerseys and, and just bringing a lot of new hype to a team that was – uh you know branded as like the boring slow team just you know why not shake it up a bit
0: got it well i remember all i remember was being a little bit confused at that whole thing and wondering who this guy was and uh i don't think he's played paintball since then but it was an interesting ride at the time for sure
1: (laughs) yeah it was it was fun for sure i mean bears played around a good amount. he's played on a lot of teams and Bears a pretty solid player, but uh, yeah, he he never made it to a practice or or an event, unfortunately. I think he I think he stopped by for a day in Vegas because he Bears got all, all kinds of stuff going on in his own businesses and whatnot. He's a super busy guy, but it, it it was a lot of fun for sure.
0: Got it. All right, so uh, now we're pretty much getting to the end of our show. So anybody here in the chat still, I uh, last chance to get questions in. So, Ryan, this is uh something I ask everybody that comes on the show, so it helps uh. Me figure out who needs to be on the show helps, uh, like those lesser known people out there get their names out. So, um, is there anybody in Texas? So it could be Texas based teams, players, brands, projects, field owners, tournament series, anybody, anything, uh, based in Texas that has caught your attention. So, if there's someone in Texas that uh, nobody else knows about, who do they need to know about?
1: uh for sure so uh a lot of the i mean everyone knows archie and ryan over at uh, project paintball but some of the stuff they're doing is super cool um so they don't need any introduction on their own but definitely check them out but i I do think and i kind of mentioned it earlier some of the stuff that's happening down around the houston tournament scene is super cool the alternate prizes some of the the new stuff that's coming out um like i said like Johnny Dane grills for winning a tournament, a three man, or whatever it was. That is awesome. Uh, I mean, whether or not you're ever going to wear it, it, it's that was some of the coolest things. It, it makes you excited to play paintball again, you know, and not just to win your entry feedback or maybe win like a, a mini or something like that. So I think those guys have a lot of cool stuff going on. Um, some of the pro edge guys and uh, the, the other guys involved. Uh, was a a big David I think is involved in it still Um, so I think definitely a a, a chat with those guys would be really really cool Um, as far as players go to be honest I've been so involved with work I haven't made it to a lot of these local tournaments so I I haven't seen this last year or so of the developing players I know I off the top of my head I would have put a lot of the guys on notorious but those guys are about to show everybody, you know, what they kind of have going on. Those guys have been around for forever, um, like you know Ty Bateman and 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 Marky e and, and those dudes. But uh, they finally made it to the show. You know, they're they're going to get their shot next year, and that's going to be really exciting to see um, another Texas team, you know, in in the big leagues. So,
0: yeah, lots of good yeah. options there. Uh, shout out to Jim Hensley uh, with HTPS uh, that Johnny Dang stuff super cool I got to play in the HTPS uh, three man uh, last year no two years ago now Jeez, that sounds about right it's either last year or two years ago but uh, the Johnny Dang prize is super cool to see he uh, yeah, had not just the grills but they've done rings they've done like uh, WWE yeah. style belts like those all of those things are great
1: yeah so, uh,
0: yeah, that yeah does a lot of those show.
1: prizes are, making their way. yeah, a lot of those, like, you know, like the WD belts and, and the rings are what are making their way into like the ICPLs. And now they're, I think the WCPL is doing it and, and I think Bunkerfest is doing it. Everyone's doing it now. So it's kind of cool to see, you know, the progression of these really cool prizes that then become the norm, essentially.
0: Yeah. It's not just all the same metal that looks like the same generic thing with the different like sticker or, or design like it's all it's all really unique now it's great to see all right ryan uh, Yeah, absolutely. so thank you so much for your time ryan do you have any last shout outs or things you'd like to say before we sign off
1: uh no just uh, you know check us out arc anodizing if you have any questions uh you know if if, if you if you have a project here we're getting to it it, it's probably it's 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 in here somewhere <laughs> um but yeah just shoot us a, a message arc on facebook or, or instagram check out our new website uh shoparcdirect.com um a lot of cool stuff going on over there and there's a lot of stuff that will be going up in the next few days and in weeks so definitely stay tuned there
0: awesome all right, uh, thank you, Ryan, again, and thank everybody online uh, watching live. So much for tuning in. Be sure to go follow Ryan. That's at Ryan Hall forty one on Instagram, and also follow Arc Anodizing at Arc underscore Anodizing. That's on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, so, y'all, what other guests would you like to see on the show? Be sure to leave a comment down below. While you're at it, hit the subscribe button. The show goes live weekly here on twitch.tv slash In the Pits Paintball Podcast, and recordings are posted to YouTube. Amazon, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify the next day. Uh, shout out to my partners and sponsors, FU Athletics, Get That Shot, Paintball Kumite, and Compete. So we'll see you guys next week right before the new year for episode 28. We're going to have Alexander Augusto and Omar Simmons from uh, TKO Texas Knockout. They just won uh, the D4-5 man uh, at World Cup and they've got some exciting stuff going on for next year so uh, Ryan thank you so much
1: thank you